Super Talk Mississippi media production. Well, free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to another week of the Eagle Hour. Bob Getty and Luke Johnson. We're in the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. We're glad you're with us wherever you're tuned in this afternoon. Another great weekend for a Southern Miss baseball as we kick off today's show. Southern Miss ranked number 19 in this morning uh, this morning's coaches poll. Number 20 in the D1 poll, number 22 in Baseball America, an RPI, 19th in the country. Four Conference USA teams at all three major baseball polls. First time I think we have ever reported that. Opening segment sponsored by Dickie's Barbecue, proud supporters of Southern Miss Baseball and the Eagle Hour. And we encourage you the next time you have a taste for the best barbecue in the Pine Belt, make sure it's Dickie's. All right, so the Golden Eagles win three out of four this weekend against Rice. Before we get to that, before we get to all the polls, uh, Coach Barry tells me a harrowing story uh, of traveling home last night, 3 a.m. in the morning, Coach, before you and the guys get back in town. Yeah, unexpectedly. You know, we thought we'd be back around midnight, but uh, had a uh, had a blowout on our bus. So first time in many years of travel that I've experienced that and uh but you know we just had to wait at a rest area south of picky in for a truck to get out of hattiesburg to get down there and put a new tire on for us before we could get home so certainly arrived home a lot later than what we uh, wanted uh only to be faced with 7 a.m covid testing this morning so we got the double whammy well we're glad you're on the show coach and we're glad you're back and uh everything is uh safe and sound quite a quite a journey all right, well, good news this morning, Coach. Uh, you're continuing to move up in the polls. Your RPI stays in top inside of the top 20. And four Conference USA teams, Coach, in the top 25 of the – well, actually, the top 22 of three major polls. That must make you feel pretty good. Well, it does. You know, we strive really hard as head coaches in our league to, to make this the best league that we possibly can and one of the tops in the country and – Certainly, uh, with that recognition and the way that our teams have been playing, uh, you know, certainly deserve that. You know, I think another thing that's keeping us in there, too, is that our non-conference opponents that we've played pre-conference uh, uh, season, uh, we, we had really good records as, as a conference against that. So it all all pays into to what recognitions we're, we're all receiving from Conference USA right now. Uh, I'm going to ask you a layman's question that was asked of me last night, and you're an experienced baseball coach. I, but I'm, even then, I'm not sure that you'll have an answer. Here was the question posed to me: How can we lose six to nothing to a team that we turn around and beat thirty-four to three in three straight games? And I laughed and said, "I'll ask Coach Barry that." Well, I know that people don't like this answer at all, uh, especially those that don't make a living. Uh, trying to, to win baseball games, but you know, that's baseball. That's, that's sometimes it happens. You look, I think you look at 
you take the same scenario last weekend, you know, Marshall goes in and takes two from La Tech at La Tech and then gets swept by Western Kentucky this past weekend. So, you know, how does that happen? Right. That's just, you know, that's, that's college sports. That's, you know, if we had the answers to that and, and everything was a guarantee, there'd be no reason to even play it. So, yeah, and, you know, as disappointing as it was, uh, it did happen. And the main thing is is that we were able to uh, flush that, that loss, and uh, not deserving of any kind of win in game one and move into game two, three, and four and, and do what we needed to do. And that was to, to win the next three and, and come out of there uh, with a series win and, and winning three games before we headed back to Hattiesburg. Impressively so, I might add. And I th- I, to me, it, it, it all started uh, Friday afternoon with another great performance by what has become my favorite Southern Miss pitcher, Walker Powell. Yeah, I mean, we've talked uh, many a time, and I feel like I use the same scenario with him. He's been very consistent his whole career. You know, you're going to, you know, what you're going to get when you when you put him in that lineup, and he goes out there. He's going to give you a great effort. Like I think all of them are, but you know, Walker, we've grown to know him now uh, for a long time, and have seen him start many a games for us. So, you know, he was just Mister Steady. He went out there and really commanded both sides of the plate. He had uh, he had his off speed working and was landing it. And, you know, he pitched a seven-inning complete game, gave up ten hits, which is a lot. And you and, and Rice had ten runners left on base. But to me, that's a sign of a, of a very good pitcher to pitch around those things uh, and, and be able to keep those zeros on the board as we offensively continue to put numbers on the board. And, you know, certainly I don't want that to go unnoticed either because offensively, uh, you know, we did a great job. And uh, Coach Creel and Coach Amorati, who, We've been working hard with the offense, uh, you know, has, has got them going. Friday in the first game, you know, we did. So, you know, something that was a little different on Friday, too, and not an excuse, but, you know, we didn't get to practice Thursday night because we had finals on Thursday here, so we didn't get over there to Houston in time to practice. We had 2 o'clock doubleheader on Friday. That got moved back to 4. We didn't get to hit on the field, so we basically went into that game, uh, you know, out of out of what our normal routine is on a road series, but you know those are things that we need to learn from uh, because that's going to happen next time we go to FAU. Since we just got informed that our flight is has been changed going to FAU from one o'clock and getting in there in time to practice to now we don't leave till four o'clock, so we won't be able to practice on on that uh, night before we open that series. So we need to make the adjustment and go. All right. I wish we could just play them all at the peak, Coach. That would just make things a lot easier. Well, it, it create uh, a, a situation where we wouldn't have blowouts on buses and we wouldn't be getting in the fourth of morning exactly. either. COVID test itself. So you're right. I would like that. Yeah, Luke, get in here with me and Coach Barry. Coach, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you a little more detail about Friday. and I, I, You guys should get the flexibility award. You, you're thinking you're going to play a nine, and then you turn around and play a doubleheader, two sevens. Walker goes from a normal pitching first game on Saturday to now pitching game two on Friday. How did – I mean, wh- when did you guys hear that and have to adjust to that type of schedule? Well, we were uh, – Coach Bragg and myself had discussed it on Thursday as it was going to be a strong possibility. Uh, and that decision was made Thursday afternoon, actually, when we were in route to, to Houston, uh, just because the forecast did not look good on Saturday. And, and it's kind of crazy, Luke, because, you know, 
we were both looking at the same thing, that Friday didn't look good either. It was 80-some percent. But their weather guy was saying, hey, your best chance in window to try to get two games in is going to be Friday. So uh, that's what we were able to do, and we went deep into the night. and didn't think we were going to play on Saturday, but then we uh, we got a break there in the afternoon, an hour and a half after the scheduled time we were supposed to start. We got that game started, which would have been game three. And, and and sailed right through it with no issues other than just a light sprinkle there early in the game. But after that, we were we were in fine shape. And, of course, yesterday was just a beautiful day, um, the whole day. Can you talk about um, how big of a weekend this was for, for Dustin Dickerson at the plate? He's a guy, you know, you spec a lot of with the glove, batted close to, to 300 last year, been struggling a lot, but he just really came alive this weekend in the nine hole. Well, he did. And, you know, he has the ability to do that. I think we saw that last year, his first year as, as a freshman. Of course, he's a COVID freshman this year. Um, but, you know, I felt like last year that he had really uh, adjusted his swing from, from Wes Jones where he was, you know, everything for their offense. He was a guy that really made it go and, and you know, hit a lot of doubles. And, of course, you're playing in high school parks, and that's conducive to hit those and even leave the yard. But, when you get to the next level, you know, sometimes you have to tone down your approach and understand who you are and what your role is and what you need to do. And so last year he really grasped the uh, the line drive and that type of approach, and he's kind of struggled with it this year off and on. And a lot of fly ball outs, uh, you know, and not using the whole field. And it was really good this weekend to see him have a good good weekend as we're closing out the regular season because we need him – to be able to do that in the nine hole. We've had a history of guys in the nine hole that have really produced for us. You know, I remember LaMarcus uh, Boyd. I mean, he was a terrific nine hole hitter that can really uh, be kind of just disguised down there and people giving fastballs and he'd turn it around. So, you know, of course, when we had LaMarcus, he was a junior college kid that had transferred in, so he had a lot more ABs under his belt. So to see Dustin this weekend have the, the games that he had uh, was was very impressive. But it wasn't just him, and I know that's who you asked about. We did a lot of things well in that bottom half of the order. Uh, we, we, we made an impact there where in a lot of games it's been kind of silent. But this, this weekend those guys really woke up. We did great things. McGillis handled the bat from the bunt. Sacrifice, we handled the situation hitting. Blake Johnson had a really good weekend of getting those runners in at third, less than two outs, as well did, did Dickerson. Yesterday he handled a, a hit and run really well. That ended up in a uh, in an error by uh, by Rice at the end. He hit a double, but he ended up taking third, and then they overthrew third, and he scored, or Blake scored on it. So aggressive play by the bottom half of the order, and, and Dustin was right out front with it. We're talking head baseball coach Scott Barry on the Eagle Hour. He's tired, but uh, he's on the air with us, and we're grateful for that. More with Coach Barry right after this. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. We're talking to head baseball coach Scott Berry on an afternoon where his ball team is ranked number 19 in the country in the USA Today coaches poll, number 20 in the D1 poll. 
Number 22 in Baseball America. So in all the big polls, the Golden Eagles are right there. Number 19 RPI. Uh, RPI-wise, Charlotte, number 11. Old Dominion, number 14. Louisiana Tech, number 18. Southern Miss, 19 in RPI. Coach Barry, you you were talking about it before we hit the break. A couple things I wanted to get your comments on. Uh, the, the Saturday game, your bottom third of your order goes six for nine with five RBIs, and I think that's what you were referencing. And then I want you to talk about Charlie Fisher, who just had, after hurting himself two weeks ago, uh, just blew up this weekend. Man, did he just have a phenomenal series over there. I mean, he was a presence every time he came up. I think he was 8 for 15 on the weekend with five doubles, and I don't know how many RBIs he had. But, you know, he came up time and time again uh, in big situations where we needed to continue to push runs across and keep that momentum on our side, not knowing if Rice would ever – you know, wake up and, and get a couple of guys on and then blow the yard with the way the wind was blowing. So to see see Charlie come back after the, the hand injury that he missed all of uh, Louisiana Tech last weekend against uh, Western Kentucky was his first weekend back with really no reps prior to that. He just went in there blind, uh, hoping that he, he would uh, remember how to hit. And it, it's easier said than done, but... This weekend, uh, he certainly showed us that he does know how to hit, and his presence was felt uh, every time up. Yeah, no question. Coaches, this team, because we're in the stretch now where every game, it seems like, is really important. Uh, we, we can see the tournament on the end of the road here now. Is your ball club playing like you want them playing at this time of the year? Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, they're they're playing pretty good baseball, and you know, obviously, we we if we go back to the first game of the Rice, we would have liked to certainly compete better than what we did. We just, you know, we just didn't do enough to win. I mean, we didn't we didn't pitch well enough. We didn't we left eleven guys on. We had situations where we and when we were down two to nothing, we had a runner at third, less than two outs. I remember, and and we don't we don't get him in. You know, and and that could have cut it to two to one. We never did anything to try to get the momentum back and and and. And what we talk about a lot is just punch them in the face after we've been punched. So, you know, but we did the next three games, and I think that's a sign of a team that has come a long ways from the front end of the season where we talked about youth, and and we're still young. We're still the same age, but we've got more experience. We've got a couple more months under our belt. Uh, We've got a failure that has taught us how to be successful, which – you know, if you if you look at failure, that's the greatest thing about it. If you're smart enough to to learn from it, you'll succeed from it. And mm-hmm. and I think that's what we're kind of seeing right now. We're seeing guys that are playing good baseball. They're deserving to win. They're playing hard. They're competing, and and they're they're really pulling for one another. You know, we're playing good as a team. All right, Luke. Coach, yeah, can you comment further? I, you know, you score 30 runs on the weekend, but you leave 37 guys on base. And, and uh, even if you, in the three wins itself, you still leave 26 guys on, on base. How do you, you know, how do you address that? How do you deal with that? It seems like that's been a recurring theme all year, especially some of those close games where we lost. We just left uh, high single digits or low double digit guys on base. Yeah, you know, I mean, you just continue to put yourself uh, in positions of opportunity. I think that's before you can ever address being successful, you've got to have an opportunity to uh, to do it. You know, I, I always tell our players and everybody else, you know, baseball is not a game of failure. It's a game of opportunity. 
uh, you know, failure and success are just two variables of it. You know, before you can have one of those, you have to have an opportunity. And so as long as we keep creating those opportunities, you know, we're, we're going to be okay because we're going to have a chance to be successful with that. You know, the only time you're going to not have any runners left on base, obviously, is if you don't get runners on base or if you hit a home run to clear the bases before you make the last out. So you're always going to go through those games where you're going to have runners on base. And, you know, it all comes down a lot of times in reality, Luke, it's, you know, the, the best hitters fail seven out of ten times. So the, the great ones succeed three out of ten times. The disappointing part a lot of times in that situation is it's not necessarily just a hit that you need. Obviously, a hit is great, but it's a ball in a certain place. Yesterday, Montenegro came up with a runner at third. He had a, he had a bad weekend. He struggled at the plate. But I was proud of him, and I told him after that at bat, he hit a 6-3 ground ball that enabled us to score another run. Yeah, we traded it out for an all-important run. And those are, those are big-time situations that we have to dominate in, in that, not get caught up or sped up in that we have to have a hit here. A hit's nice, but sometimes it just takes a ground ball or a sack fly to, to get that run in. If my uh, Joseph Green School of Business from the University of Southern Mississippi math is correct, your ERA among your four starters, 3.05, which is extremely good. But, Coach, specifically, talk about Etheridge and then Boyd. One earned run between them over the weekend. You get 13 innings out of both of them, 10 strikeouts. Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, they just once again they they pretty much filled it up. Out, you know, if you go to Ben's outing, yeah, there was that inning. I think it was the second inning uh, or the third inning. I think it was the second inning because it was raining. He walks the first two guys. Well, if you look at his stats, he never walks guys. And I know the first one came after he was O two on him, and then he threw four straight balls. Well, then he walks the next guy, and your first and second nobody out. And you're like, this guy never walks people. And then he just dialed it up, man. He just he just pitched around it. And uh, what, at the end of the game, he covers seven innings. Uh, he, he gives up four hits, no runs, seven strikeouts, and two walks. You know, he just does the Ben Etheridge thing that we've seen him do here uh, lately. Uh, but then yesterday we hand the ball to the left-hander, uh, Drew Boyd, who, who really just went out and pitched really, really well for Drew. You know, he just kept them off balance. He covers six innings for us, or he gives up five hits. You know, has one pitch that uh, was a fastball, I think, inside that the guy got up in, in the in the wind, and it got out there. But you know what? After that, he just went right back doing his things. And, and what was impressive about our guys is after he gives up the home run, we go back to the top of the inning in the third, and we get him for two. So that's keeping the momentum on your side. And he worked that momentum along with our offense to, to get that win yesterday. All right, Coach, let's talk about this week. Uh, you got four games coming up against Middle Tennessee, obviously all very, very important. But you've got a, you've got another midweek game. You've got a midweek game tomorrow night against a pretty good ball team, Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, and I, I know your guys are a little fatigued, but I guess you just have to battle through that tomorrow night. Yeah, if we play that game tomorrow night, you know, right. we have severe weather that is uh, forecast. So 
honestly, myself and Coach Reiser from Southeastern have had conversation of, of moving that game. So mm-hmm. to be determined, uh, I don't feel good about that game being played tomorrow night in all honesty. I'm not telling you on record that it's not, but they people need that are listening need to be kind of checking our social media for any kind of game changes here probably this afternoon if we make that mm-hmm. because severe weather is predicted for a good possibility tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow night so and that would uh, be moved to yeah, win but, coach well you know i'm hoping it'll be moved to wednesday but okay. he and i have to agree on that and uh to do that but i want i want to push it to wednesday now, i don't know if he'll agree to it, but that's one thing we have to work out. But if, if if and when we play that game, certainly that is one of those games that is very important, just like the other six, that, or I'm sorry, the other eight that we have to play uh, over the next two weeks. So, um, you know, they're all important from here on out, Bob. I mean, each and no every question. one of them. All right, before I let you go, I wanna, I'm want i going to ask you to comment on something. Uh, my phone was blowing up uh, this weekend uh, from Jody Lott and Al Holder and a bunch of guys that follow baseball. When Nick Sandlin made his debut in Cleveland and apparently looked very, very good, struck out a guy, grounded out a guy, flied out a guy. Your thoughts about Nick Sandlin? I'm sure you're not surprised at his success, but you, you, you must feel like a proud daddy in a lot of ways. Well, that's what I text him. When I, when I found out that he was getting a call up on Wednesday, that he was supposed to go up on, on Friday, I texted him and, and told him this is not a surprise to me. That was exactly what I said, which I don't think it is to a lot of people that were privileged to watch him for three years in a Golden Eagle uniform. Uh, But I told him, you know, in that text that I was very proud of him and all of the Eagle family was proud as well. Go get him, have fun. And that's exactly what he did. When he got (laughs) his chance on Saturday, he got called up on Friday and arrived in Chicago uh, for the White Sox series and then got in there on Saturday, and, uh, you know, he just did the Nick Sandlin thing. I mean, he, <laughs> he gets a, a, a pop-up, and he gets uh, uh, Tim Anderson, who's, you know, pretty good hitter. He bites his knuckles on the ground ball, and then he gets a strikeout to, to end the inning. And the greatest thing is is that mom and dad and the family were there in attendance, and, and what a special moment it is for a parent to be able to see the, uh, the their son uh, achieve a dream that we all dream that play this game to be there in person to see that so yeah very happy for nick he's got a lot of great days ahead of him and a lot of great innings of, of right. work that no everybody's going to enjoy watching all right coach we always enjoy our conversations with you hope you can get a little rest look forward to seeing the golden eagles back on the field really soon yes sir thank you all right coach scott berry everybody We appreciate his time today, especially since he got in at 3 o'clock this morning. We'll be back. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Always appreciate Scott Berry's time on Monday. Great conversation with Coach. Be looking for that game tomorrow night against Southeastern Louisiana. It may be moved 
to Wednesday. Just kind of keep uh, updated on social media, and of course, if we hear anything, we'll pass it on to you. Uh, Bob might want to send Jay Ladner down there to, to Hammond and kind of tell him we want to play this game on Wednesday. Kind of let him be our envoy <laughs> since uh, he was he came down there. He's got to know somebody where he can. He, he can owes us, off, Luke. But. He told us well last week we were responsible for him getting that big point guard. So I think that's the least he could do, right? Napper is on the Eagle Hours, right? Yeah. Right. If, if Jay Ladner will call Coach Reisner down there and just we need to play this game on Wednesday. Anyway, Eagle Hour on a Monday. Third segment brought to you by Fourth Street Bar and Grill, located on Fourth Street in Hattiesburg. Chicken Alfredo over pasta today. Don't forget they got tuna mahi mahi and redfish. You can get those in a sandwich or a salad, or maybe even if you look up, they may put those in a taco for you. Great place uh, to watch your favorite uh, Southern Miss games and and see Southern Miss memorabilia. Fourth Street Bar and Grill. Proud sponsor of the Eagle Hour, Luke and Bob, now joined uh, by Kelly Sander on the phone as we are in the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and Laurel. And uh, Kelly, just kind of uh, talking what we talked about with, uh, with, with Coach Barry, we're going to push some Conference USA baseball stuff to, to, the, to the fourth segment. But how about Nick Sandlin? 16 pitches, comes in in relief, one of the nine relief pitchers for the Cleveland Indians, uh, induces uh, some ground balls, a fly ball, and then strikes out Adam Eaton on that nasty slider that we've been seeing forever. It's just so awesome when a Golden Eagle gets to make a debut like that at the biggest stage. And that his parents were there and, and, and got to see it, and uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't totally coveted out. I mean, other people got to see it, and it's another dream come true, you know, for a young man who um, has had his, had a share of, of injuries, but uh, but he's back and looking good. And and again, I don't think the Indians would have activated him this soon if they didn't think they had a chance to win the division. Uh, it was supposed to be a cakewalk for the Minnesota Twins and Chicago White Sox, but with the Kansas City Royals who were projected to be a lower-tier team in that division, now leading the division, I think they feel that uh, that this could be anybody's ball game. So Sandlin got the call a little bit earlier than usual. But, uh, man, looked great, and hope, hopefully that's a sign of things to come for him. Another uh, Golden Eagle getting to the big stage. Tim Jones goes undrafted, but uh, signs a free agent deal with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, uh, you know, the, the Jaguars, they, they've got a lot of receivers on their roster, nine if I'm counting, counting right. Uh, first or second round pick last year was Chenault. Uh, of course, they got DJ Clark and some more guys like that. Uh, good, good landing spot for, for Tim Jones. Kelly, what's your take? Well, I think if you ask him, he'd say, yeah, it's a great landing spot because, you know, it just I just thought that he would go in the draft. I just thought he was a terrific uh, college football player. But that just shows you how good those guys are. If the NFL, you know, thought that there were that many receivers better than he was, boy, they must have been, you know, sensational. And I know, you know, looking at other Conference USA teams, uh, you know, there were other, other teams in the league that placed more guys than – uh, than just the one, you know, in the in the, the regular draft. But he would say it's a good place to land. But, you know, when you look at Jacksonville, Jacksonville likes Southern Miss guys. Remember, Picasso Nelson signed with, uh, with Jacksonville a little bit. So I think that the Jaguars know what they're getting, well-coached, hard-working guys, and that's what they'll, they'll get with Tim Jones. And, and you keep your fingers crossed, maybe something will happen, and they'll, like Sandlin, get that shot and take advantage of it. No, no word on whether Kyle Hemby has uh, has signed anywhere, and we'll keep you updated on that. Bob, I didn't, I didn't get to talk to you Friday. I uh, didn't talk to you through the weekend. Your overall, Kelly was exactly right. The Washington football team drafted many football players to play for Washington. 
<laughs> yeah, about a C minus, I think. Uh, a C minus, I believe, is the uh, is the rating they got. You know, they picked them up a receiver, a tight end, and uh, then went heavy on defense. Rivera's uh, Ron Rivera, just a big believer in defense. He drafts linebackers. A little surprising. Two defensive ends, I only assume, will come in as as reserve to what I think Kelly Sander was the best defensive line in the NFL last year, Washington. Boy, they were they, they were tough. Uh, they they've come at you from all directions, and uh, so you would have thought that they would have gone a little bit more on offense. But again, Riverboat Ron, as you mentioned, Bob likes that defense. Right. Uh, my Bengals, they said you know did pretty well, um, but when scouting players, it it wasn't a real in depth process. Let's just put it that way. I mean, when they interviewed these kids, they just asked them. Um, would you work for $12 an hour? <laughs> and wear ugly uniforms. <laughs> and if they said no, they just scratched them off the list. <laughs> so uh, they were limited as the number of guys they were going to take. Fair to say, though, that you might, my daughter asked me about that last night, about the Redskins sort of un, undramatic draft. And I said, you know, just, there weren't any Chase Youngs this year. Am I, am I, am I right about that? You're right, uh, and and as evidenced by that fact, if if there were, I mean, you know, the Bengals lost Carl Lawson in free agency, and they were, they did draft four, you know, defensive ends, and they're hoping that you know one of them will stick. But um, the 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 one category that seemed to have the best talent overall were the quarterbacks, right? And and they all went pretty much in the first or second round, so right. it was interesting to see though, and and the Saints are not are not being praised. They're being criticized for their draft. People didn't like the Saints. Uh, uh, so-called experts didn't like the Saints draft at all. Who they get, Luke? Well, he, they drafted they, they the quarterback drafted out of Notre Dame, from, I know. Well, they, they got booked in the fourth, but everybody, like, so this is what happened to me. I was, Lauren and I were hanging with friends on Thursday night, so me and my buddy come back. We've got it recorded. And we get to pick 27 with the, the, the Ravens. So we're like fast forwarding it, you know, through the commercials and all that. And the DVR recording stopped at the Ravens pick. So I didn't even get to watch in, in like, you know, even the recorded of, of the Saints. But, you know, just instant reaction going on, seeing who we picked. And cause I didn't, I didn't, uh, find out. And, and I was going to find out at that moment watching it kind of halfway in, in a replay. But yeah, Turner was a guy that, that some people thought he was a third rounder. And then they kind of moved up to a second rounder. And, but the Saints said they didn't feel like they were, um, they didn't feel like they were stretching or settling for for Peyton Turner, and I guess the biggest question was why would you draft a defensive lineman when Cam Jordan is there and you just picked up Davenport's fifth year option? And uh, to, to people's, uh, I guess people that understood what the Saints were trying to do, they said, "Well, Davenport gets hurt, and Cam Turner or Cam Jordan's get a little little old, so Turner can fit there." I think he's going to be good. But uh, I, I'm, I guess I'm a Elijah Moore was there. There was a couple more guys that were there. But the Saints went defense, and they had to address a cornerback. And I, and I felt like when at 26, when Farley from Virginia Tech didn't go, this is just my way of processing it. That's who they were aiming for. They thought he was going to fall to them. It turns out they're actually going after Joe Horn's son, J.C. Horn. That's who they were trying to trade up in the top ten to get. And of course, he and, and Sertan went in the top ten. Uh, Ian Book, I mean, yeah, he's he's obviously not going to play this year. May not play in, in a couple years. Kelly, how'd you take the the Ian Book draft pick? He was he's the all time winningest quarterback at Notre Dame, and yet probably ninety percent of America has never heard of this kid. 
I mean, you've, you've heard of Joe Montana and some of the great ones that Notre Dame has put out, but, but, but Book is the all-time winningest quarterback at Notre Dame. So, look, you're not a dummy if you go to Notre Dame. You've got you to gotta be smart generally. And by all rights, everybody says this kid is, is you know, sensational, but it looks like they're going to go with you know, Taysom Hill in the meantime and Jameis Winston. But the thing that I didn't understand about, about taking the D-end in the first round, the Saints now have eight, eight defensive ends on roster. Eight. <laughs> Part of it was because you lost Hendrickson in, in free agency. I think that was what they thought. I just don't know if that dude at, at 270 is going to be ready to come in and play from, from day one. And and if that's the case, then why are you wasting a first-round pick on a guy that can't play immediately? Right. right. I mean, that's, that's what I think. All right. So is, is the kid from Clemson the lock quarterback that everyone thinks? Or Kelly Sander, will we be a little disappointed when he steps up and plays with the grown men? No, I, I think I think he'll be just fine, but but he's not going to lead Jacksonville to a Super Bowl. That just doesn't happen in the NFL. I know mm-hmm. these Jacksonville. Oh, he's going to. We're going to go to the Super Bowl next year. No, you're not. No, you're not. Uh, the, you're not. The Bucks are uh, going to be going to the Super Bowl next year. Give them give them some time. The NFL is a how about whole different how about league. them drafting Kyle Trask, Kelly Sander, at the end of round two? I I thought it was a great move myself. Um, you're talking about Jacksonville. No, talking about uh, Tampa Bay taking the Florida yeah, quarterback Bay. at the well, end of the no, second I round. I was going to say, I, I thought it was a great move because, I mean, Brady is now a little bit older. I think he's in his mid-60s. So, I mean, at some point, <laughs> you know, at some you point gotta he's going to put it down reality. and be ready to go. Yeah, he's he's yeah. gonna retire when he gets hey. social security where he can make ends meet, Kelly. <laughs> and he needs that Bob. social security check, doesn't he? Bob, going back to Lawrence, unless the uh, Jaguars go 17-0, and this will be the first time that Trevor Lawrence has ever lost an opening game in his life. Didn't lose any in high school, obviously didn't lose any at, at Clemson, the opening game. So, yeah, pretty sure that streak's going to be broken this year. I think he needs to become a little more accustomed to that in the next uh, year or two. Something, something tells me he will experience that part of the game uh, when the NFL season uh, cranks back. All right, so where do things stand in Conference USA Baseball with only two weekends left in the regular season? That's hard to believe. Luke will have all the details on the other side of the break. Fourth segment brought to you by D-Bad and D-1 Training in Hattiesburg on Hardy Street. We will be there this Wednesday. Take some batting practice. Kelly Sanders going to hit a couple home runs, I've heard through the grapevine. But we'll be at D-Bat D-1 Training, the best place to go for instruction and fitness in the Hattiesburg area, dbathattiesburg.com. A couple news and notes from Southern Miss. 
Golden Eagle track and field team was very strong at the Maroon and White invite up in Starkville. Corville Todd and Eric Richards finished second and third in the high jump. Trinity Flager had her best performance of the season to finish second in the 200 meters. And freshman Cassidy Tusher moved into 10th all-time in program history with a personal best in the 1,500 meters. Golden Eagles now will turn their attention to the Conference USA Championships in Murfreesboro, May 13th through the 16th. Softball uh, was swept this weekend by Louisiana Tech. They fall to 21-28 on the year and will travel to finish out the regular season at UAB this weekend. And then two Southern Miss women's tennis uh, players get all-conference accolades. Uh, De La Garza and uh, Suhana Das are uh, all-conference, so congratulations to those young ladies. Recap in Conference USA this weekend. Southern Miss, of course, takes three out of four from Rice. ODU Three out of four from Charlotte. Western Kentucky sweeps Marshall. FAU gets three of four against Florida International. Louisiana Tech sweeps Middle Tennessee. And UAB and UTSA split. Conference USA standings in the East. A two-way battle between Charlotte at 18-6. and six. They're a game in front of Old Dominion at 17-7. and seven. And in the West, Louisiana Tech 18-6. and six, A game and a half in front of the Eagles at 16 and 7. Bob mentioned earlier the rankings for this week RPI wise. Southern Miss at 19, Tech at 18, Old Dominion at 14, Charlotte at 11. That's in Warren Nolan. In D1 baseball, Charlotte at 11, Old ODU at 14, Tech at 18, Southern Miss at 19. And then in the top 25, four Conference USA teams in both D1 baseball and Baseball America. Pretty good, Kelly. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, of course, the, the big news will be coming out here, you know, in a week or so, two two weeks maybe, as to where the regionals are going to be held. And at least we'll have some clarification there as to who in the league is going to get one. And so we'll have something to complain about. You mean after all the SEC teams are awarded, then they'll decide where the rest of them go. Is that correct? Yeah, and the Kelly? reason we mentioned last week that LSU has announced full capacity without any masks, and, and and you you took it exactly the way I thought you would, Bob, and a lot of people have. Gee, the timing of LSU's announcement. Amazing. You know, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Just a couple of, a uh, little bit about a lot of things. Uh, Luke mentioned Louisiana Tech sweep this weekend. That's 10 road wins in a row for Louisiana Tech. That sets a school record. Uh, in the National Football League, they've announced today that uh, in order to see the Thursday night games in 2022, that's, that's not this upcoming season, in the fall of 2022, you will have to subscribe to Amazon Prime in order to see those Thursday night games. That'll be the only platform that will have it for you, those Thursday night games starting in 2022. And Major League Baseball has a big problem on its hands right now. Nobody is scoring. Uh, they've never seen unprecedented futility as far as runs being scored. Pitchers are so much better than hitters uh, right now, at, after 528 games so far this season, strikeouts are way outpacing the number of hits, let alone runs. And how is this for how is this for a statistic? In 544 games this year, there have already been posted 48 shutouts. 48 shutouts in just 544 games. Conversely, in three times as many games last year. In nearly 1,800 games last year, there were only 12. So we talked about how major leagues are trying to get people back to the ballpark. That's not going to get it with nobody with all these guys striking out and not scoring many runs. And we talked about earlier in the year how some of the minor leagues are moving the pitcher's mound back a foot 
they're going to closely be monitoring how the offensive output goes there because they don't feel that this is a very good thing. So many strikeouts, so few hits, and all of these shutouts. Right. People want to see some runs scored. Before, to watch. before we run out of time, I just got this information. Uh, Jeremy McLean, the athletic director, of course, of Southern Miss, will be on the show Wednesday, and uh, hopefully he can uh, fill us in on, on what is going to be the process with these regionals. I know that Southern Miss put in a bid, but right now with uh, so many ranked Conference USA teams, Luke Johnson, does that hurt or help our ability to perhaps land a regional? You're going to have to find, and this will find out, you wonder if a school like Charlotte even submitted a bid. You know Louisiana Tech did. You know Southern Miss did. You just wonder if Old Dominion and and Old Dominion and Charlotte did. And so here's the kicker. What happens if the Eagles have, you know, what happens if they sweep this weekend? What happens if they, uh, if if Tech doesn't? What if the Golden Eagles, you know, are able to get back a game and a half or close it to half a game? Uh, will that UTSA, you know, rain out, will it hurt the Eagles? Will it help the Eagles? So a lot of stuff going on, but we know that we submitted a bid, but I, I'm just kind of tentative whether or not Charlotte even did that or not just because of the facilities they have and stuff. And I think the NCAA and COVID this year, Bob, I think it's going to be – one of the things they're going to look at is have, have they done this before, and obviously the Eagles have. Well, what a show Wednesday. Jeremy McLean on the Eagle Hour, Kelly Santer in the batter's box, swinging away at 90-mile-an-hour fastballs. We just can't wait, Santer. How about you? Well, you know, my nickname growing up was the White Prince Fielder. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't think I wanted to know that. <laughs> All right, that wraps up a Monday. Go Eagles. Until next time, Southern Miss. To the top. To the top. I want to fly like an eagle to the sea. Fly like an eagle. Let my spirit carry me. I want to fly like an eagle till I'm free. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.